Hello, friends. Merry Christmas. Uh-oh. Is it Merry Christmas? Should I say Happy Holidays? The culture wars, am I right? <laughs> Listen, it's great to have you here. Great to have you with me on the show. This is a very special Christmas episode. I had to bring back Trip Fuller, okay? I've gotten so many stinking messages about how much you all loved him. Uh, so I said, okay, I got to bring him back on. So I said, what should we talk about? And then light bulb moment, let's talk about the virgin birth and about Jesus. And if the virgin birth was an actual factual thing or not. And if anyone can talk about that, it's Trip. And boy, oh boy, of course, in his own amazing way, he totally did. He blew all of my categories. I love listening to Trip Fuller talk. He's great. He explains things so beautifully. It's so compelling. So I am looking forward to releasing this episode during the, the Christmas season, if you will. We talk about Advent. So anyway, buckle up. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being here. That being said, thank you to everyone who continues to support the podcast, who continues to donate to the work that we do. If you want to be a part of that, you can click on the show notes. Anything helps. Anything helps. $5, $5 a month, $10 a million dollars. It doesn't matter. We're grateful for all of it. It helps us do the work that we do uh, to make these uh, episodes happen, to make the content happen, to create the Facebook content, the Instagram content, the Zoom groups. There's so much work that we do behind the scenes. We have people working with us all the time and, and the funding that we get allows us to do it. So a sincere thank you. Also, thank you to everyone who continues to share the show. We continue to grow, which is amazing. Um, as of the time I'm recording this, which is actually in November, uh, we had over 75,000 downloads in less than a year of starting this podcast. So, wow, that's all because you share what we do. Thank you for that. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my episode with Trip Fuller. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Trip, this is round number two. Uh, I got to say, I'm not sure if I told you this, but I probably get comments on your episode still the most out of all the episodes I've done. So oh, people loved it. Yeah. And I don't. What do we talk about? Well, I, I, I just remember I had fun. I titled the episode. I'd rather be an atheist than a Calvinist with trip four. Oh, well, so that's true. <laughs> So I think that kind of helped, but we talked about a lot of stuff. Talked about um, the how the absolute most important thing to recognize is that God absolutely loves you and His love at the center. I mean, just so many amazing topics, and I think our my audience really appreciated it. So I had to have you come back on. Um, I've been I've been following you. I think I found you before the podcast, but I've been continuing to follow you and you know Homebrew Christianity and some of the series that you've done. They're really for people who are really trying to, what I say is kind of expand their perspective and, and and walk into different rooms in the Christian tradition, you're such an amazing resource for that because you're nothing like evangelicalism in so many great ways, but you still have like a great, I think just beautiful perspective on the divine and on being faithful, and I guess if, if that's a way to say it, uh, to Jesus. So yeah, I'm pumped to have you back on, man. Well, I, I'm glad to be here, and I, I just want you to know, uh, I was I was impressed with your patience when you interviewed uh, a number of people at the Joshua Butler episode. Um, like, I, you're you're very gifted, and I don't want to say mm. anything anything negative at this point. I just I just right. want everyone to know that this will hopefully be a different. You won't have to have the same kind of patience. You'll just have to cut me off if I talk too much, but. <laughs> 
Um, I was like, man, man he's being nice. at some point I would have just said like, yeah, 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 but don't you think some people could be living the, leaving the church because the deity you are very committed to right. The, the, yeah. the kind of Neo Calvinist one is an asshole. Like they, you didn't say that. And he was being very generous. Like, you know, the Orthodox are all these different kinds of process, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you know those and count them, why did you pick the meanest deity? <laughs> Right? Like they all are officially Christian. And you're like, no, no, I want the one that before the foundations of the earth slaughtered the lamb for a few because double predestination, limited atonement. It's one of the Christian options because I'm generous, but it's right. my favorite. <laughs> like I was sitting there the whole time going, man, I don't know what, what is Tim doing? He's, he's really handling this well. And, um, uh, well, I, I appreciate that. I first, oh God, that's hilarious. But um, I think my audience is probably crying over that statement. Uh, you know, to be honest, it it is tough because I think because I don't like being interrupted, I try not to interrupt other people because I hate when I'm like in the middle of a flow and someone cuts me off. And with interviews like that, on one hand, I want to almost just pause him every sentence and then like, and then offer a, 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 a counter perspective. Like, actually, wait. Actually, wait, but you can't do that. Like, it's just not, it's not possible in a live interview. So I just try and pick my battles wisely. And I also try and let my audience hear their entire perspective. So that way they can't say, well, oh, yeah. Tim cut me off. It's like, no, they heard everything and they still I, found your perspective problematic. Yeah, <laughs> so. I know. I, but, you know, I'm just waiting for all that new street cred to come in. So that's <laughs> same, same. And if you want to donate to my street cred campaign, you can send oh, it yeah. to. <laughs> Oh boy! All right. Well, we're already off to the races. This is great. So you know, today um, we're we're talking about Christmas. I wanted to bring you on for a special holiday Christmas extravaganza episode of the New Evangelicals. I imagine it's snowing outside. You know, jingle bells in the background, gifts under the tree. And I said, you know what? I got to have Trip Fuller on to talk about some controversial stuff by some standards, and probably for you, not controversial at all. So I wanted to at least kick the off right with with some of your thoughts and I know we're gonna go into a lot of a lot of places here so we'll start here and let the let the chips fall where they may I really want to get into the virgin birth okay because that is something that I think a lot of people in my community as they're starting to explore different rooms in the house they're like well you know what do we do with this are there other ways to see the virgin birth and to still be a Christian are is it is it pretty widely accepted that you know Jesus was born a virgin, um, and and what do we do with that? Is that factual evidence, you know, written by by the gospel writers, or is that something else? So I said, you know what? Out of all the people I can think of, I bet Trip has a lot to say about this. So that's why I reached out to you because I figured you'd be a great person just to pitch that question to and to hear some of your thoughts. Well, I'm glad uh, uh, I, I come to mind when you think of virginity and uh, <laughs> the mother of God. Um, the, the, you do. well, you know, either here, there are four things that popped in my mind while you were saying that, and then you can tell okay. me which ones of these are interesting. Cause, uh, one is we regularly say virgin birth, but Protestants don't believe the same thing historically as Catholics. We believe in a virgin conception historically. Uh, the virgin birth is usually attached to Mary's hymen remaining intact, the perpetual virginity of Mary, um, because of 
well, we, if you want to go in the history, we can, but it has to do with their co- concept of like the passing down of sin. So Mary had to stay a virgin even after the birth of Jesus in order to keep her uh, status. Right. So uh, okay. one, one thing people do when they say virgin birth uh, if, is just point out, look, this is a doctrine with a history. There's the virgin conception that's in Matthew and Luke. Uh, it's not in Mark or John or Paul. Um, and it's not in the Hebrew version of the prophecy you know I, that isaiah uh, is quoted in matthew um but it is in matthew and luke uh, but the virgin conception is different than a virgin birth and once you see how the doctrine has all has continuously been changing based on how he understood sin how he understood humanity um then you can go what is it that we've always been trying to get at when we talk about the virgin conception and when we talk about the origin story of Jesus, what are what what are we trying to say theologically? Um, and you discover that in the New Testament, there's a multiplicity of different narratives and ways of describing the identity of Jesus, how the divinity and humanity are connected, related, and fused uh, together. Um, and, and so, just that first one is the Protestant and Catholic distinction. Um, the, the other is some people hear it, and it's a miracle question. So if you yes. were, if you historically. Uh, the fundamentals that the fundamentalist movement developed, the virgin birth was on the list. And it's because they were engaging biblical scholars who would then start doing nerdy stuff. Right. And they go, no, I just want to know, do you believe in the virgin birth? Uh, And and there they, they experience questioning it as a literal historical fact as questioning uh, the con the, the doctrine connected to Jesus's divinity. Right. And right. so uh, and underneath it, I think, is this picture of what a miracle is um, that uh, how do we know Jesus is important? God intervened. No sperm necessary. Boom, shakalaka, Jesus. And if we right. don't have that, then you, you're getting rid of miracles. It's a slippery slope into polyamory with birds. You know, right. The, right. So right. Then you have the prophecy question. Hmm. So some people in the, they're like, look, it's in the Bible. And and in Isaiah, and then Matthew quotes Isaiah, and then it happens. So it's one of, if Jesus wasn't conceived of a virgin, then it's not fulfilling the biblical prophecies. And then how is he really the Messiah? Right. right? And, uh, and, and so you can see that's reasonable because Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the, the passage he uses, he's using the Greek translation of Isaiah, which was originally in Hebrew. And the Greek translation uses the phrase um, that it is commonly translated a virgin woman. But the Hebrew, like the one that God breathed, if you're a fundamentalist, it just <laughs> means a young woman. And it's in a text and it's about her conceiving and the fulfillment of the prophecy will come before nine months is up, right before the young woman gives birth. That's what mm. it actually meant in Hebrew. It gets translated uh, when the Hebrew text is translated into Greek. The Septuagint is the Greek translation. And yeah. that's what Matthew's using when he's writing the gospel of Matthew. So hmm. it seems really clear. You got a virgin conception. Oh, here's a sweet prophecy. Like, you know, he probably flipped through his, you know, Jewish concordance or something. Um, <laughs> but, but so you see, like it, it, when you get to that question of prophecy, uh, once you realize that the actual original text is written in Hebrew and that's not what's there, then that ma- makes you go like, then why did Matthew use that text? What's he doing with the prophecy? If that's not even what's really there, ah! Right, so it makes right. it uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And the last one is it's in the creed. And then what what is the role for creeds? Uh, and okay. different traditions have different relationships to it. So if you are you know, uh, in a creedal tradition, uh, then that 
born of a virgin is in the creed is really binding in ways it's not if you're, say, in the free church tradition, like uh, Baptist, or if you're Pentecostal. Um, uh, the, historically, the creeds were not something uh, for certain parts of the church that remain binding in the same way they are for, let's say, if you're Catholic or if you're Anglican or, or, or if you're, you know, Orthodox, like Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, uh, yeah. So all four of those things, I think, pop up when the question of uh, the virgin birth comes up. And, you know, depending on what conversation you're in, it can get awkward in different ways in the holiday season. Yeah, right. Okay, first off, let me say that's amazing. I love those four different perspectives. And they you're right, they do overlap into all of them. One quick example is oftentimes I get told from people online, you know, well, do you believe in the Nicene Creed? If you don't affirm that, you're not really a Christian. It's like, okay, and the Nicene Creed has the virgin birth in it. So I see that, right? I, I think the big one on everyone's you know um, mind is really the the miracle question. Did this literally happen? Did Mary have an angel visit her? She was uh, a physical virgin, you know, meaning she never had sex before, and now she's pregnant, and then she gives birth to Jesus. And is, is that the, is that Matthew giving us you know what Tim Matthew would say the camcorder footage of what actually happened? Like yeah. you know Matthew was there recording it with an iPhone. Like all right, this is really going down. What are some of your thoughts on that? Maybe we can start there, and then maybe we, we, we can touch on some of these other ones as we kind of go along. Yeah, so I, I, there, two things come to mind first. One, I would just ask someone if they're losing sleep about it, right, if you're doubting it or whatever. Right, yeah. Um, uh, if it didn't happen the way you thought it had to, but right now you experience God mediated by Jesus, then whatever needed to happen for you to encounter God in Christ has happened. Regardless mm. of like what you thought had to happen, like our our beliefs of what's necessary are not corresponding perfectly to what was actually necessary. Right? So, mm. I, I, and I say that because I think a lot of people they'll have a doubt, they have a question. What if the doubt and the question are really good? And what if there's not a final answer we can even have access to at this point? Right. right? And right. Um, and then you go, well, if I don't know that, then I'm just going to disengage from the beautiful affirmation at the very heart of Christmas that the infinite God of love has refused to be God without us and comes to participate in finite existence and is mm. found in finite existence where not in Rome, in the courts of Caesar, not even in Herod's court, but in a manger mm. that God has chosen to be God with us, Emmanuel, and God has come in manger and then cross an empty tomb to reveal God's loving face. If you've encountered that in, in Christ, then mm. breathe deep. Like, mm. go ahead, wrestle with this. There's tons of nerdy stuff, and it can be really fun. But if we've experienced the encounter with the divine in Christ, our particular answer about what we think at one moment is not going to make God flinch. So I just want to say that because so yeah. many people I know disengage That's because good. the person with the microphone at their church is like, you have to believe this this way, you know. Right. And I'll just say, like, no, you've encountered God in Christ and you are celebrating the arrival of God in this history, in our history, in our flesh, in our world. Hmm. And whatever way you can like whatever way you tell that uh, in um, in your own life at this point, what you can manage. Um, is good enough because you have the encounter. Hmm. Uh, and the other part is, the second part is, uh, if you're just asking historians, there's almost yeah. no evidence for uh, a virgin conception super early in the, in the church. So Paul, 
who's written the things that are the oldest in the New Testament. Hmm. The only things we know about Jesus from Paul, crucified, <laughs> resurrected. Yeah. He encountered Jesus, uh, the resurrected Christ, right? And he tells the Jerusalem church, like Paul uh, goes to talks to Peter and company, and they hmm. go, what you're testifying to, we experienced. And then they have fights about including right. Um, right. The only other thing he mentions about Jesus, uh, he gets the, uh, you know, um, love God and love your neighbor, but he cuts off the love God part, just says love your neighbor, right? Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, I hand on to you what was handed on to me, that on the night in which he was betrayed, right? The the communion in yeah. First Corinthians. Right. So, and I say that because Paul... <clears throat> Um, Paul didn't think, uh, if he did know about the virgin conception, it was an essential part of telling the gospel and demonstrating that he was a trustworthy person. Um, uh, not only him, Mark, the gospel of Mark, the oldest gospel in the new Testament, uh, no awareness of virgin conception. And Jesus doesn't even get along with his family in the gospel of Mark, let mm. alone, you know, Mary's a main character and some of the others in Mark. Uh, Jesus starts his ministry with the baptism and that's where you see God descending on Mark in Jesus and Mark. And he's called up in the life of the spirit. He's then tempted uh, and then begins his ministry. Um, you go through there. The only interaction with, if his mom is Mary historically is hmm. uh, his family comes um, beating on the door. He's teaching like, Hey, your family wants in. And he goes, right. my family are those who know and do the will of God. Hmm. He doesn't go, Actually, well, most of them are, but my mother who conceived me as a virgin, <laughs> like right. you know, there's, it, um, if you just read Mark, the oldest historical testimony, the narrative of Jesus life, it's not there. You go to Luke and Matthew, it is, but they're different. John, no virgin conception. Mary's a main character. The first miracle in John is the wedding at Cana, but um, there, no virgin conception, but it gets dialed up. It's even more hardcore, but you think you're impressive, Matthew and Luke, hmm. like you, you, you thought you were cool. Mark, he's like baptism. And God says, this is my son. Matthew and Luke are like, we can level this junk up virgin conception. And then John's like, hold my beer fools in the beginning. Was the word, the word was God was with God. All things came to being through the word. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> you can't you can't top me with your spiritual God sperm. I just said <laughs> Jesus is the living embodiment of the eternal word of God. If you know anything that's good, true and beautiful in all of existence. It came from the word. Guess what? The word took up flesh and Jesus. Boom, shakalaka. Listen to my gospel. Right. So, Mike, right, they, right. Now, you don't go to John or Mark and go, well, um, I didn't hear you affirm the virgin conception. So I just don't know if these count as Christian gospels. They're in the freaking Bible. <laughs> right. You don't go to Paul and be like, look, right. I know Romans is high quality material, <laughs> but you say in Romans that he was born of the flesh of David and raised through death into life if, in the spirit. It sounds there, Paul, like you think that uh, his sonship uh, was accomplished through, his, through the resurrection. Hmm. Did you not know he was conceived of a virgin? You, you see right. what I'm saying? Like totally. in the New Testament totally. is this giant live conversation. But what do they all hold in common? That the person of Jesus is where we encounter God. 
Hmm. They all are affirming it. Now they can tell it different ways. They try to describe right. it different ways. They're trying to make sense of what? The encounter with God in Christ. John goes, when you encounter this homeless first century Jew executed by the empire, deep solidarity with all flesh, that is the reason hmm. and rhyme of existence. Mark goes, in his experience of baptism, he recognizes his identity as the beloved of Abba and then goes pronouncing the arrival of God's kingdom, and they don't have to do anything to get in. And it overturns all – like you could – each gospel have these ways that the beginnings, the baptism, the two stories in Matthew and Luke that involve a virgin conception and John, all of those gospels are kind of like – parabolic overtures for their deep theological affirmations each gospel has. And so biblical scholars um, spend most of their, uh, most of their time looking at the individual voices of each gospel. And when it gets to Christmas, yeah, we have the creed said virgin birth and the Christmas pageant mixes together things from different gospels and acts like the wise men were hanging out with the shepherds and they weren't. Like that's right. heresy. They're not, and they're, they're different stories altogether. Um, hmm. So I, I I say that because I think that when we say uh, there's something else going on when we're yeah. anxious about it being a miracle, because the the miracle we think, or here's my hypothesis. Sure. I think we believe that if we get rid of the miracle part of the virgin conception, we're getting rid of the presence of God part in his humanity. That's exactly right. And I don't think they're ultimately connected because they weren't for Paul or Mark or John. Um, And then you can ask what, you know, Matthew and Luke were doing with the virgin conception. But that's why you take some deep breaths. And yes, well, I I, first off, let me just say, I think that was awesome. I think, wow, amazing. Um, I truly love having you on for those kinds of moments because you, you really, you know, you have a gift, honestly, of putting things in ways that's like, yeah, of course that would make sense once you say it that way, right? Until then, it's like, I don't understand this virgin birth. Then you're like, well, Paul didn't mention it. You know, it's not in these gospels. And like, maybe that's okay, right? Um, so thank you for that. And I think a lot of the audience hopefully is taking a deep breath going, thank God I'm allowed to wrestle with this stuff. Because again, I'm not sure, well, no, I know how you grew up. You grew up similar to, you know, our circles. You know, um, And a lot of people, when you're taught about, a, about, about the Christmas story a certain way, you know, and you start picking at it, people really get freaked out, right? Oh, you're really on the wrong path here. You're this is just straight up heresy. You're it's a slippery slope. Um, yeah. once again, right? You're going to be an atheist any day on the streets, you know, prostituting your bodies, something crazy like that. Um, and and a lot of people I feel like are scared because if they start scratching at that, the the worldview of their faith has certain core pillars. And if those pillars start being deconstructed and reexamined, the house that that maybe your safe, you know, safe the the safety of of your ego, I guess, sits in, all of a sudden feels like it's going to crumble on me, and I can't touch this pillar. And I think what you're saying is like, take a deep breath, because th- if this is one of your pillars, we can we can sit and we can wrestle with this. And if you've experienced, you know, God through in Christ, you. That's the point. That is the point. The point is not if the virgin birth literally happened or not. It's are you experiencing yeah. the beauty of the divine here and now? Do you think part of it is uh, the virgin conception gets treated like, is it a fact or is it a fable? Totally. And it's one of those, right? And totally. what if the best account, uh, it, what, if, what if what Matthew and Luke were doing 
when they compose these gospels trying to describe the narrative of Jesus, that the birth narratives are kind of theological overtures to the life of Jesus. And that we miss under, if we misunderstand them, we put them in a dichotomy. Are they fact or are they fable? Hmm. Um, but they function more kind of like parabolic overtures to the gospels themselves. And um, hold on, I got to ask, what is a parabolic overture? Okay. Well, um, uh, when you hear the parable of the Sermon on the Mount or no, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. If the first question after the sermon, uh, he, Jesus finishes up and he's like, you know, everyone's like, man, that's high quality material. Right. Like, who is your neighbor? Sir, right. Like, that's great. And if the first question, someone goes, so uh, do, you, do you know the guy's name that was traveling? Uh, what okay. was what hotel did the Samaritan stay at? Right. Like, and he's like, no, yes. no, the question was, who's my neighbor? Right. And the okay. answer was to tell this story. And the truth of the story is unrelated to the name of a hotel. It's not a fact or fable question because the truth is I gave you an actual true answer, right? Gotcha. Who is your yes. neighbor? Got it. Right. Anyway, um, that, that makes sense. So, okay. Thank you. So, so if you think of how, when you, in, in uh, ancient uh, Near East at this time, a second temple period, Judaism, uh, the context for Matthew and Luke that cre- the, 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 the tell the two birth narratives um, they have the, they have a number of different contexts. One is their, the way they inherit the Jewish context. Um, and it's very different. And you can see this say, uh, in Matthew, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, uh, goes back to Abraham. Uh, if you look at the genealogy in Luke, it goes back to Adam. Now, mm. are we surprised to find out that Matthew is much more concerned with Jesus as the new Moses so much that uh, where does Jesus go to escape persecution mm. in Matthew, Egypt? I don't know. <laughs> like you're like, wow, oh, really goes to Egypt to escape persecution as a baby. Do you know anyone else in the whole Bible who, I don't know, was trying to escape persecution as a baby? And, you know, yes. like anyway, right. Um, it, so you, there's even some really cool early church art where you, the ark, uh, uh, so that's the, actually the phrase in Hebrew, but you know the basket Moses is in, right, right, set in um the as the manger. So the manger is a basket like Moses. Wow. Anyway, um, that's amazing. Anyway, so, so the five uh, Jesus is set up there as the new Moses. He literally goes to Egypt and comes out of Egypt, which is how in Matthew, um, he was uh, born in Bethlehem and then lives in Nazareth because when they come back, they move to Nazareth. Uh, because you have some Bible verses, both that he needs to be fulfilled, born in Bethlehem. He, we all know Jesus historically is from Nazareth. How do you fix it? Go to Egypt mm, and back. Um, mm, the, mm. So I say it because then Matthew goes five big teachings through the whole book. And if you know, if you're trying to do a recapitulation of Moses, the new Moses, right. Well, there's right. five books of Moses, the Torah, you're right. Mm. Um, and, and so his, the genealogy there shows you here in the Jewish context, I'm t- t- telling this story. Luke, the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Hmm. Uh, Luke also wrote Acts. What is the whole story of Luke Acts? It is that how the, the Jewish Messiah becomes the savior of the world and the gospel hmm. ends right in Rome like with Paul at the end of, uh, right. at the end right. of Acts. Um, and, and so you have this different genealogy. Uh, 
Uh, it doesn't take much effort to line them up and realize they don't match. And <laughs> it's almost impossible for them to be true. <laughs> like mm. if, if you, if that's what you were doing, but again, that would be asking the fact or fable question. And right. if you just look at any of the Bible genealogies, that's not how they work. If you look at all the neighbors of the Jewish people, that's not how genealogies work or how birth stories work. They're there to tell you who the person is, where they came from and what their identity is. And so if that's how the you told biographies in that time yes. and how you inherit them, then in the Jewish context, what is it? Um, uh, who are the most important figures? The, the old people having babies, right? Abraham and Sarah. Huh. Anyway, you can go through a list. Right. Uh, in, in the Roman context, the imperial context, we can go read the birth stories of Caesar. What happens? His mom has sex with a god. Hmm. Now, let's imagine you're trying to tell the good news of the one good God of creation coming to dwell with us, facing down sin, law, and death, and bringing new creation into being. Hmm. And you're going to give a theological overture to who this person is, a way of telling the story that sets up and goes, this is what you're about to hear. Hmm. And for the Jewish echoes, it's an improbable birth, but it's not old age. There's no contribution. Hmm. And if you're a Roman, your your women sleep with gods. Mary says yes, and it's a spiritual invitation. Like you see, they, they, if you're just looking at what the person's doing, mm. uh, the both authors in different ways, they're picking up on how narratives frame a figure, a heroic yeah. figure in biographies at that time. And Matthew and Luke are both going. This is the fulfillment of what we've been waiting for as the Jewish people. And if you think Caesar is Lord and Savior and Prince of Peace, all titles Caesar has, then you get it wrong. Because where does power reside? It's in a manger, not in a throne room, right? Mother's Day is coming. And if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. I love Mondays. And yes, I'm being 100% serious. Why? It's because I'm a Dunkin' Rewards member. And Mondays are better with Dunkin' Rewards. Every Monday this month, Rewards members get a free medium hot or iced coffee with any purchase. Not a member? Join on the Dunkin' app and never miss a deal like this. Dunkin' Rewards. Save them, stack them, use them how you want. America runs on Dunkin'. Limit one per member per Monday. Additional charges and terms may apply. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. So, like, if you if you just pay attention to how the text works, if you look at it in the literary things around it, all of a sudden... Uh, Going fact or fable about the conception misses the deep theological affirmation mm. that it, it in the imperial part's important, um, in mm. which is the bigger concern of Luke, right? Here's a question Did Augustus ever take a census of the entire world for taxes? No, we have receipts of what he spent money on for everything. <laughs> and in fact, he wasn't in control of the whole world at that time. Hmm. So you tell me, did every historian 
and and all of our all the things we know from ancient history of that time period happened to miss the one global census of the whole world, or did Luke <laughs> say Caesar Augustus, who is uh, when he conquers territories, says he's bringing a kingdom of peace, and and the, on his coins says Caesar, son of God, yep. um, that it calls himself Lord and Savior, and you have to to pay taxes. Would he? I don't know. Tell a theological parable where Augustus decides to take a census of the whole world he's about to tax. And then that decision by the tyrannical top-down empire hmm. become the means by which some peasant Jews fulfill scripture for the coming of God on the underside. Hmm. That is badass. That's high-quality <laughs> theology. And is, if yeah. you sit there and go, but sir— Augustus never had control of the whole world in order to tax it all, right? You know, and and then what happens next after that? Who finds out first? Shepherds. And if you spend much time knowing about shepherds, they a lot of them are criminals. They're socially excluded. They can't participate in much of the Jewish ritual because they're always unclean. Huh. And then who shows up? The whole freaking choir of angels. Hmm. And then what do they do? They want announce the birth of the king to them first. Then. Hmm. The whole choir comes out and says uh, that this is the bringer of peace, right? It, hmm. That's interesting because the choir there sings about Jesus, things that are strikingly similar to what gets sang around Rome when Caesar announces conquering a new territory. Hmm. Now, I don't know. Well, hmm. Did they borrow material from Caesar on accident and it got confused? Or is Luke about to tell you that someone whose genealogy goes all the way back to Adam and brings in every human being is now being woven into the history of Israel so that a new Adam is being born. And this is one you come to participate through in the life of the spirit. And this is the Lord and Savior, Son of God, bringer of peace who builds it not by building crosses, but by bearing them and goes to build that kingdom very where, where with the shepherds in the, in the stables with a young woman. Anyway, like the, wow. once you sit there and start looking at how biographies work, what the gospel right. writers are doing, it's just boring to argue about fact or fable. And I put this, if you think it literally has to happen or whatever for you to enjoy Christmas, then just believe it. But I don't know if it's going to hurt anything. <laughs> right. But like, if you think that we're going to argue about the virgin conception and miss the fact that most of the church thinks that we're succeeding at Christmas uh, when we you know, don't think about the fact that the church, especially the church in America, is more committed to turning that holiday in the celebration of consumerist capitalism and then making it nostalgia for a religion that has been supporting what we see now, a growing Christian nationalism, a kind of ongoing support of white supremacy. Then we miss the point that the story is looking at the powerful and the privileged and saying a new creation is being born in this person, Jesus. It's happening under your nose. And if you want to figure out where the true power is, go to a manger, not to the White House or not to Congress or not. Anyway, you can go through the list. I just think it, the story itself is very striking and powerful. And we miss the point by doing the fact fable fight. I um I got to be, you know, I'm very honest with my community. I'm going to be honest now. I'm really overwhelmed with emotion as you talk, Trip. Like, I'm just very moved by the way that you put 
a story that I've been taught my whole life, a story that I'm like, yeah, I get it. Jesus came because he's, he's going to bear our sins one day so we can go to heaven. And you're just like, actually, maybe we've been have maybe we, we, we have just uh, an incorrect lens that we've been looking at the story through. And instead of worrying about, you know, like you said, did this factually happen or not? Like, who gives a shit? That isn't the point. The point is that there's something deeper happening. There are statements being made by these by these gospel authors uh, of of really um, um, uh, a God that partners and works through the forgotten ones, the underside of society. And mm-hmm. I think what you did was in in that little monologue there for a lot of the audience and for me, you really have woven in so many things that we've been talking about with so many other words into this quote unquote Christmas story of like, yes, like that, that not only makes so much sense, it, it, it it is so much more moving to be like, yes, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of my church Christmas special that I volunteer 40 hours a week to do, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of a church that says, actually, we're not going to participate in the cycle of capitalism and consumerism because this gospel that we, this Jesus that, that we're claiming to follow isn't, you know, isn't advocating for that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I also think, the other thing that's so important, it's funny you mentioned all this because I just finished uh, Bible Project, just just did like, like a four-part series on what is the Bible. And in one of their last Q&As, they kind of talked about what you just mentioned. And one of the questions that uh, Tim was asked was like, you know, how do you know like what's like fact or fiction kind of thing? And Tim kind of made the point similar to you of like some of this stuff is stylized and that is okay because it's getting to a certain point. Point, like you said, you know, Luke Luke's point maybe is different than Matthew's point, and so on. And at first, I think a lot of people are freaked out by that, right? Because we've been taught, oh my God, if this is if it, if it doesn't line up, if it's not factually quote unquote all true, like what kind of faith do I have? But as I'm going down this journey, and as I'm hearing people like you and others, I'm actually like, this is way more beautiful because that isn't the point. There's something way deeper going on than, well, Jesus, what street did he turn on again? Oh, you don't know? Must be bullshit. You know, it's like actually, who yeah, cares yeah. about that? Something else is happening. I I think that is. I don't know. It's just way more captivating, frankly, than than worrying about if the virgin birth literally happened or not. Mm-hmm. I, I I think so. And I'm that. Should we be surprised that the church, the 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 the, the church in America, who is most complicit um, as the body of Christ in a lot in preserving a lot of uh, our at least the imperial shape of power in our contemporary context. Sure. Be it our military industrial complex and the way um, global capitalism functions and such um, that 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 we have managed to mute the challenge of Christmas uh, and sentimentalize it. I like hmm. I think there's a real reason uh, there's something being accomplished by us doing so and then turning our fights in. Uh, America and, you know, theologically over, do you believe the virgin conception um, is, is a distraction uh, Hmm. from the actual, uh, for me, and is the challenge that happens every Advent season uh, leading up to Christmas. Yeah. Throughout Advent, the church pauses, if you are on the church calendar, pauses to wait for God, the coming of God. And then we reflect uh, on the yearning of the world, how where peace is absent, where love is in short supply, hmm. where hope 
is dwindling, but not, you know, smudged out, right? Like these are the kinds of things we spend that time looking for. And if, if the arrival of God is something that thinks peace and hope and love and joy are brought deeply into the world, but our economic habits, our patterns of consumption, our identities that have been tribalized in horrible ways, our commitment yeah. to peace through violence and the military industrial complex. If all of those are bracketed and set aside, then what were we waiting for? Like it, it, it's not a solution to the big problems facing us as a globe. And I think that the gospel should have good news for us, good mm-hmm. news and for our grandkids and great grandkids in the yeah. world they, that we hope to give to them. And if we actually attend to the scriptures and look at what Matthew's trying to say, and we look at what Luke's trying to say, and even what John and Paul and Mark are, they're saying something about what God did in Christ, right? And that's the big doctrine, the incarnation, Mm. is that God chose to be God with us and for us, and then to invite us into it. And in the two uh, uh, virgin conception stories, uh, in Matthew, you see J- uh, um, uh, Joseph takes the primary role. Like, what does he do? He's embarrassed. And right. like, how does he handle this? He wants to get rid of her silently. And then he's facing a dream. And you see him struggling to choose to be faithful and take sides with God, even though culture, religion, and the world around him tell him this is what the right thing to do is. Mm-hmm. And then Mary is visited by an angel and decides to participate with God's hope for a world, knowing she has almost no power and no voice, but what she did have is the agency to say yes. Hmm. And both of those figures in in the text are wonderful models for us Hmm. as Christians. And Meister Eckhart, the German mystic uh, from the Middle Ages, he said, uh, what good is it if Mary conceived Christ as a virgin if we too do not bear Christ. Hmm. And and that wasn't to relativize the coming of God in the person Jesus in Mary, but was to say like the whole reason that God became incarnate wasn't to to, to peace out. It was to be born again and and again, like so Hmm. much. So we have a religion where I don't know, we baptize you into the body of Christ. Right. And then what are we? We're nourished literally on the body of Christ at the table. It's the, the my body, my blood. Mm. Right. The 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 Christ the Christian church is to be the body of Christ. And the Christmas stories uh invite us into it. And I just think that there's a uh Uh, it's sad to look at the problems we face as a society and as a people and as a globe um, and then realize that we're going to spend a month dwelling on this narrative and miss the fact that it's not there to tear up and clap or to see kids dress up like uh, angels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Those texts are actually an invitation for us to think about making space in our lives and our souls for the birth of God again. Anyway, so that that to me is a a perk of bracketing the factor fable question. Is it yeah. all of a sudden, regardless of what you think is necessary? Right. right? Because whatever's necessary happened. We all have like if you're in this conversation, you're right. the, the new evangelicals are, are <laughs> like the reason you're an evangelical and not a 
new like super progressive Protestant or a Unitarian or whatever is because right. you've encountered God through Christ and mm. you, you want to tell that good news. But it's the new part could be setting aside the way sentimentality and fights about truth in the age of modernity. Set those aside so we can actually participate in encountering Christ today because we have encountered it. That's why we're here and we have right. questions and have doubts because we've tasted something that is good. And then right. the explanation on the outside of the bottle looks ridiculous. <laughs> right. And so, yes, exactly. Uh, so here we are. And what happens? What happens when you find out that the texts themselves uh, have more beautiful invitations, more disturbing truths than when you smash Matthew and Luke together and then, um, you know, go off and play the story out in front of everyone? Well, I, I think it's, it may be embarrassing to say, but. Up until maybe a couple of years ago, I did, it didn't even dawn on me that 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 the virgin birth wasn't in all four gospels. Because again, you know, just when you grow up in certain church cultures, you're just taught the story a certain way, um, and you realize all of a sudden, like, wait, oh, we're we're just picking verses from this from Luke and some from mm-hmm. this and some from here, and this is our story, and it doesn't really tell the stories that. Maybe you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are trying to tell us. One of my questions is: I think one of the struggles a lot of people have, including myself, is okay. If I was to sit down right now by myself and read Luke, right, and and read the 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 genealogy and then the virgin birth, everything, I I wouldn't know what to look for other than how I've been taught to read it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't know. Oh, the, like, like 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 for example, the whole Matthew Moses thing, right? I Tim Mackey taught me that. I was like, holy shit! Like this, it's actually an ark. It's not even a basket, you know, technically, but it's called a basket. You know, like, all this stuff, where you're like, oh my god, Matthew is is showing Jesus as an, as a new Moses. I never even realized that, even though I read this book like maybe you know ten or eleven times over the course of my life, never made that connection. How how do we? have the tools to look for some of this stuff to, to to see the deeper beauty than what maybe our American evangelical context has given us. Cause I think that that's mm-hmm. a big struggle for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, two things I'll just say one, like there is a growing wealth of resources, right? Yep. Um, yep. And also like, if you're a part of a faith community, request it. I get, here's my, if you go to a church, that's not run by like someone that's scared of questions and doubts, which um, I mean, there are thousands of ministers that listen to the podcast. Most yep. of them wish people came to their office and said, yeah. you know what I want? I yeah. want some more critical wrestling with scripture taking place. Like you been right. being a minister because you actually love this stuff, right? So mm. um, I would say ask for it, find it, share it, that kind of thing, support it. Uh, but the other side is we don't need them. We're at a transition point. And so lots of people are discovering stuff, uh, but there are parts of the church that have been doing this for a long time. Um, totally. It's just evangelicals didn't get, and you've made this point in your podcast a lot, evangelicals didn't know if they were supposed to witness to them or not, right? So <laughs> right. Um, I worked at, right. uh, before I started teaching full-time, worked at a, a UCC church um, for eight years in Los Angeles, which is United Church of Christ, it's progressive Protestants. But so our, um, uh, at, like at Christmas, we would, instead of doing amalgamations of a Christmas pageant, uh, we, we would do one of them and it's not that hard. Like you still get plenty of people to dress up and all that kind of stuff, but then you're dealing with one of the gospels. And then the next year mm. you can do the different one. Or um, there's this really cool Christmas pageant uh, script where Matthew and Luke 
both think they're the director and are trying to arrange it and tell the story and they're both committed to their gospel thing and so you it, it's a fun way of basically going no they're they're not the same thing and then you learn the right. uniqueness of each they're explaining why they're doing what they're doing right um so there are lots of creative ways and there are people doing it so if you if you aren't in a place ask for it find a community that is and that kind of stuff but the last thing i say is like you n- can read it and know the like white evangelical version of it almost immediately that is the version of Christianity that has got to be in the top 10 worst interpretations historically, <laughs> right? Like it turns Jesus into a, a white middle-class Republican that loves guns, doesn't like vaccines, is QAnon adjacent, right? right. So if that group of people, if like, if it's compatible with that, like it's probably wrong uh, in <laughs> lots of ways, but you've right. learned it and can't not see that when you read the scriptures. That's so, right. I think that means that as we transition and find more communities of faith organized right. in older ways and new ways, that yeah. we, when we find community, we'll learn to read the scripture from uh, from a different lens. Yeah. And it's completely okay not know how to do it. The best investment you can do is when you have kids, figure out how to do it so they don't have things <laughs> to get over and you get to learn along with them. Um, mm. But I was a minister uh, and I regularly would get done with confirmation. And then what happens? The uh, uh, the parents are hearing their kids like, where they where this where did my teenager learn this stuff? And then they they want to go through it, right? Mm. And uh, and, and I it, so it's not it it it's not impossible. I just think we haven't spent much time doing it because for so long, American Christianity has been culture dominant that yep. you didn't have to take the faith seriously enough to figure out how to pass it on to your children and things. It was just done culturally. And the yep. cultural version of Christianity that we defend um, at, at, when we go to sea with the pole and such, that kind <laughs> right. of Christianity is right. one that's completely compatible with the, the power structures of our day. The very ones, Matthew and Luke, are saying the arrival of Jesus is a threat to. But mm. if he was a threat to the exploitative system of Rome, and we live in you know, the, the Rome of our day. Um, right, right, we like do. Most, we have more economic disparity now than they did when Jesus was born in Rome. Yes. Uh, so I mean, that's just one example. We spend yeah. more on our military than Rome did. Um, so there are lots of things that if you just go, oh, um, since we were born, there's been more carbon put in the atmosphere than all of human history before that. Um, by, well, by humans, not by. Right. Anyway, right. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, there are lots of things where if you just look uh, and go, this story was a real threat and brought about a new community that wanted to do some amazing and beautiful things in that context. Well, it could do it again. And we shouldn't be surprised that the culture dominant version of Christianity hits mute the moment any of our privilege and power uh, is up for debate. And if it finds a way to sentimentalize it, yeah. if we can get yeah. nostalgia, if we can put St. Nick as a symbol for capitalism and let him uh, sell Coca-Cola, that's even better. You know, right. so. Right. Yeah, anyway. No, that's really good. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, you use the word, um, you use the phrase as we're in transition. And I, I love that because I feel like a lot of people in our community including myself, are in this like um, no man's land right now, right? Where we know that the American evangelical church 
is no longer our home for a, a variety of reasons. Either we got asked to leave, we got kicked out, uh, we just couldn't do it anymore, whatever. And we've only been in the basement of of, of evangelicalism in 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 the house of Christian thought, and we're, we're we've opened the door for the first time, right? We're breathing new oxygen, and we're like, oh mm-hmm. damn, like this is a big house, and there's a lot of doors and a lot of rooms that I don't even know where to start. And so I think that's a really astute point that that. That is really happening. And there are a lot of people who right now, and I I mean, you know, over the past year, we've received over 10,000 DMs, like total. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get often, um, hey, like I I have no people in my life. I have no community. No one in my life gets this. I don't know where to go. I don't know what kind of church to go to. I Because all we know is evangelical church. <laughs> That's all we know. But I think and my hope is that as we keep moving, as we keep uh, journeying through this, as we keep hearing for us what our new voices, right, such as yourself or, or um, you know, even uh, Peter Ends for a lot of people, we hear these new people talk and we're like, oh, okay, this is new. My hope is that as we continue the path, we're able to find uh, for us, new communities are actually tapped into very old things, very old mm-hmm. traditions of what you just mentioned. And I think that that is my hope. And I hope for that my community starts doing that as well, because I think a lot of us do feel really isolated because we hear people like this. and We're like, oh, my God, I want to tell all of my white evangelical friends and give them this podcast and say, just listen, we're missing it. Right. But we do that and we go and, 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 and you know, what are we told? Oh, you're a Marxist. Oh, you're progressive. It's like, dang it. Like the culture wars Again, they've 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 really impeded this work. So it's just frustrating at, at times. I think. No, I think the frustration's real, and the difficult part for me has been uh, the sadness when you realize that some of the resistance you're getting is because people that have blessed you and introduced you to your faith and have been friends or family and things are really just deeply resistant. Uh, to what to you is uh, like an inbreaking of the life-giving spirit of God. Right. But you're, you've been thirsty and you're like, oh, this is, this is a giant reservoir. Right. Um, it, come meet our cousins, the rest of the body of Christ. And <laughs> right. And right. I, I don't know. Right. And, and the, uh, it, I think the sadness is one of the hardest things. Um, yeah. And the sadness tends to lead to loneliness because, uh, the the way the institutions of the church are currently organized, yeah, are are built um, on religion that function um, really post World War II was its heyday, right? So it it preserves legacies around racism. It assumes Christian culture dominance. Um, we succeed by making good citizens, good family members, and good workers. Uh, a lot of that mm. stuff. You know, there are beautiful parts to it, but there are also things that when you do that have to get muted and set aside. And I think part of the growing uneasiness among people uh, today that are checking out of old school evangelicalism, that uneasiness is connected to how that those those institutions have muted, silenced and marginalized certain questions, issues and challenges. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the, it, it, yeah, I made a joke earlier about your conversation, um, with, uh, Joel on the deconstruction supply. I, I, I what, what if, if there are some people that deconstruct for a host of different reasons, but I think a lot of them are deconstructing because they look at the world 
And then they read the cliff notes to the good news they were given and go, the word good doesn't work here. But in there, I'm just saying like, that's not a bad thing. I, the, the, we should have an answer and look, if you're going to actually be about good news in our world and you have some awareness of how uh, the American church has supported the exploitation economically of the global South, then you're probably going to get called a Marxist, even if you've never read him. Now I have, but that's because it's my job, but you know, (laughs) I'm just saying like, you're going to get called that by people who think that team Jesus team America and team neoliberal capitalism are just wed together like the Holy Trinity of awesome. And you're like, Whoa. And, and and so there will be sadness. It will feel lonely. I think that's why what you're doing is so important uh, with other people doing podcasts, uh, online communities and stuff. Uh, And the the thing I'm real excited about and want to know what's going to happen is how, as things reorganize those kind of in-person communities are born again, because as much fun as you and I can have having this in, in yeah. encountering people online, the right. thing we, the or, uh, this may not be for you, but for me, the question I get sad because I can't answer for a lot of emails and messages is, well, is there a church in insert some town? Yep. And there are some churches in, in certain cities and places, yeah. but in so many, I don't know an yep. answer. Yep. But every time I read that, I think of, so many of those passages where Jesus goes to the disciples, you're like the harvest is plentiful kind of thing. And I, I think you're really right on the turning on, point. And I, I, I want to support the new types of communities uh, yeah. in whatever way. And I, I, wherever I end up being in different points in my life, I want to find one too, because um, I, I think it's a valid, it, that question is the same one that I get. And it's the same feeling of like, Online's fine. Zoom groups are great. DMs are fine. But we all know what we really want. We just want friends. <laughs> we want people that we can do this with. We want people that we can sit in and experience the actual presence of someone in the same room as you and dis- and talk about this and then talk about ways to impact our community directly. It is, you know, this it really is um, one of the most there are th- certain things in my life that when I can't reconcile them, they just like keep me up at night, right? It's like I just don't understand. And and this um, affinity for anything that pushes against power structures, the evangelical church tends to call you Marxist or progressive or think that you're dangerous, is one of those things. Because it's like, well, if you just read – I mean, forget, even for a second, forget like context. Like if you just read the Exodus story, I mean, God's pretty clear who he picks, the side of the (laughs) oppressed, right? If you read like, you know, James, where he says true religion is taking care of the orphan, the widow, and not being defiled by the world, right? It's like, friends, I don't even think I'm being that, I'm not that radical. I'm just looking at like direct English interpretive words with no context and being like, even that on that level it's pretty damn clear that we yeah. have um, we have responsibility to reflect, right? To be like this this little Christ walking around, doing our best to to represent um, the um, the I guess new humanity that wants to get the hell out of God's good earth and be part of the cycle of of order, not the cycle of chaos, right? And mm-hmm. when you talk about that and you start talking about, especially economic stuff, right? Especially when you start, you start talking about capitalism and the, like you said, you know, the, the, the data that, that right now the wealth gap is bigger now than it was in ancient Rome. The fact that right, I, I, I posted the other day uh, on my Facebook, I said, it's really 
honestly, it's impressive that 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 people really have been sold this mirage by corporations that oh, we can't pay people more money as we profit billions of dollars a quarter. Like oh, well, our profit margin. It's like if people buy it, like you're right, the profit margin. We 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 can't pay them more. So it really is amazing to me to see that and then see. People who claim to follow this Jesus person who's like, if you don't take care of the poor, you're guilty of eternal judgment forever, right? In Matthew 25. And they go, yeah, but like, have you prayed this prayer? And, um, you know, make sure, like you said, that 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 you work hard and yada, yada, yada. That, that does, my brain starts to smoke with that. It does. And I think how... How? How are we reading the same book, the same literature, the same tradition, and coming to conclusions that are insanely different? It, it blows mm-hmm. my mind. It blows all my categories. Yeah. No, I I understand the blowing of one's mind because like, I even remember when I saw things and read things very differently, right? And Yes, yes. And especially around looking at the, the way inequality and stuff function, part of it is our desires have been hijacked and when and whatever the dominant ideology is that you uh, exist from and and ideologies aren't really scary they just mean like everyone functions with a symbolic story because no one has complete perfect access to reality so you have to engage it with some built-in assumptions now right. there are ugly ideologies there are beautiful ones and there's a lot of benign ones and some that are cancerous and like but like the in it i i think so much of our of our desires get hijacked. Um, and um, Christmas is one of those times mm. where the desire gets hijacked in really, really difficult way. Like it, you're a parent and and you right. want to give your kids the Christmas that all their friends are having. Yes. Um, and then you're like, yeah, and it's a homeless first century Jews birthday. You know, right. and so like, I, I, it's it's just right. hard to figure out. And and you could yes. even think about these big, these big issues around like social, economic injustice, ecological crisis, and um, you could go like, we could describe there's a much more beautiful version of the gospel, blah blah blah. And then like, you can even own it and be there, and then go like, how much more, how much of a more of a difference can I make than the person I'm complaining about? Because right. the system itself is screwing us all over, making us enemies and fighting against each other all the time, and then sucking all of our souls out. Right? Like, so right. then you feel guilty. Like, I feel like I'm almost as complicit as someone that didn't know any better. I just know how complicit I am, and right. I get to repent more. Um, right, right. Like, like Christmas is one of those, and I think uh, um, I don't know if this is a helpful thing, but uh, Alicia and I, um, we basically decided. We make big deals on birthdays for all the kids. Um, we have three kids. and But at Christmas, we let each of the grandparents give one gift and we give one. And the whole idea was you shouldn't get more birthday presents than the birthday boy, you know, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. So you, if we get four gifts, that's more than he got. Uh, and that was our like logic for right. Uh, right. taming taming it um right. and, and just going like like what do we do because our desires parents was like we is just we want to give lots of stuff and we want to figure it out because we just want to have these great memories and like right. do we want to pass on memories where we're trying to outcompete other parents that are just trying to make more money to give them the gifts they want and then you feel guilty when you don't have it and then you feel embarrassed if you can't afford it at different times and right. all that kind of stuff that's like, right how do we start to reshape our desires um, so like one of them was thinking of how like the three present rule and th- that was Alicia's idea. And I thought it was great. 
Um, and then how do you do the uh, um, Advent? Like in Advent, there are tons of family devotionals built. They're short at meal times, so you can have the Advent candles and light it each night. Um, and and so you spend time all the way up to Christmas each day, giving that five minutes or so before the few days you get family meals, like thinking about the longing of the world, the absence of peace and joy and hope and things and how we're anticipating God's coming. And then we are a part of its coming today. Like there, there can be little things, but what are we trying to do that the desires we're cultivating at Christmas are anticipating being a part of bringing hope and joy and love and peace into the world. Like there, there are ways you can start to do something because otherwise the all of most religious life and all the consumerist life uh, and national uh, life around Christmas is, is nuts. Right. And it's, it's hard to get out of it. So like when you hear this and then you get excited and you're like, Oh, that's so beautiful. Blah, 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 blah. Think of like some few practical things and then try them out and figure out what works. Cause kids at different ages, if you don't have children, aren't married yet, you can do things with friends Um, before you had kids. Um, like we did uh, Advent fasting. Uh, so you pick the things you spend lots of money on, um, like alcohol. Uh, and so for a number of Advents, I went alcohol and meat free, uh, which is mm. better for the planet and better for my praying. Um, and, <laughs> and then uh, we use you know, a group of all my uh, friends and stuff. Then we, we, we saved the money. We would have spent all that stuff. And then used it for one of our homeless shelters we all participated in. You know, this is our 20s and such. Like, they, like there, there are a number of ways, but then things you can do that uh, center your mind on the story of Christ in a thick way. And then you start, you start to hone your desires so you start to participate in it. Uh, and it, yes, I'd love to have churches where we all could go, right? And they would help us do this and make it easy. But if you're right. not there... You could probably you can find ways of doing it uh, with your friends or with your family in small ways, uh, and it can make a it can make a real difference because Christmas for a Christian that thinks consumerism is problematic is like an alcoholic going to a rager. Hmm. Like everyone around you is plastered and handing it out, and you have to just keep saying no, 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 and it's only right. possible to get through it. Like if you have some kind of community uh, connection where you're showing up to each other and you know, we're doing this different because we want some, a different mind to be uh, within us than the one that's so dominant um, uh, in this, in, you know, in this type of, in this time of the year. I love that because we have an 18 month old. We had number two on the way and he, you know, baby Tim, he's not at the full age yet where he knows what's happening, but we're going to get there. And he's the first grandchild from for, for my parents, and they just want to spoil the heck out of him, you know. And I think a lot of people, you really hit the nail on the head, Trip, because a lot of people will hear this earlier and be like, wow, beautiful. I want to be a part of it. And then realize that, like, their parents have no categories for this. And, and, that, and that if they, if I tried to explain to my parents the, the quote unquote true meaning of Christmas, right? The true, true meaning of Christmas, they'd be like, what progressive Marxism 
nonsense is, you know, they, they would just think like, oh my God, my kid's been radicalized. And they, and if I, if I said, Hey, please don't give Tim any more than like, you know, or give Tim no presents, they would almost be offended. And I don't want to sacrifice that relationship. Right. But there's like this tension there. And I think a lot of people, especially on holidays, especially people in my community or our community who are, we just said this yesterday, actually in our stories, we, we talked about, you know, our holidays tough for you and why in like DM after DM. Yes. Because my dad, a QAnon guy and I'm not. Yes, because politics are ruining things. Yes, because I've deconstructed and or yes, because I'm queer and I'm bringing my boyfriend and they don't mm-hmm. they don't support it, right? So there's all these reasons that there's already tension in the air for so many people. And then we hear this and we're like, yes, like speak truth to power. And we're like, but how do we start doing it? Because like you said earlier, Trip, we do feel like there's a system that's so much bigger than me that 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 me recycling, what the heck is that gonna do? Right? When when we've literally poured more carbon into the entire damn planet in, in like my lifetime than ever. Like, what is me recycling this freaking Coke can gonna do? So a lot of people I do think feel almost overwhelmed you know and there are so many things that we're aware of now more than ever it's just an onslaught of data and i don't think i don't think that we want to stay complicit right but we also don't know how to get to maybe the version of ourselves that we that 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 we want to be at some point in the future so i think some Mm -hmm. of these things you offered are actually very helpful little baby steps that kind of help us along the way of starting to change you know our mindset and how we see things uh, so hopefully, you know, we can get to a place where we're doing our best and we're never going to do it perfect. That isn't the point, but that we're actively doing our best to participate in this cycle of, of, of order and in partnering with God to redeem the cosmos instead of being part of the cycle of chaos, consumerism, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. No, I, it, it is. It, I think it's important to be, to figure out something you can manage that's meaningful because when um, you know, it's a new situation for us as a species hmm. uh, to be really aware uh, that we are part, uh, like it's new that we have the power to dramatically end most life on the planet hmm. um, between nukes and ecological crisis uh, right. and things. Um, we're tinkering with DNA. I mean, there's lots of things that are new right? Uh, and we're more connected and aware. And so our hard wiring evolved to manage much less anxiety than we know. And then mm. our connection to the anxieties and stuff because of news, what works on social media has been dialed up a lot recently yeah. uh, and it's getting worse. And so the, uh, a lot of our uh, kind of affective infrastructure is, is, has not adjusted to the world we're we're in. Um, and then what do you do? It is so easy to realize how little agency you have and then get overwhelmed and want to check out to Netflix and chill uh, really easy. Like, and I completely get it. And I'm not even saying you shouldn't do that sometimes, but that's why I'm saying, I think it's important for us to find what are the, what are some meaningful and manageable ways we can start to contribute um, in positive ways towards the world in positive ways towards our own well-being in anxious times and positive ways towards forming a different, uh, theological imagination in our children. Um, yes. And, yeah. and then celebrating that we suck slightly less, right? Because <laughs> we're like, we're, we're people of privilege in the West right. and right. like, yeah. Um, I like if, if you do how much goes to military and how much I paid in taxes last year, I spent more in our military than I did on, on the poor. Right. Um, 
And that's sad. And they're, so what do I do? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it, like, you know, because you're so connected to, to the community and things on Instagram and stuff, y'all could, uh, y'all can find all sorts of different ways. People have ideas sharing them and stuff. So that people find things they can do. Um, because, uh, the finding a perfect end all be all solution isn't right. going to happen anytime soon. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, we can do something. <laughs> we can do something. No, I love that. Um, well, you know, man, it's always a pleasure getting you on this podcast. It really is. Um, my 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 big thing when I asked you to come on was really talking about the virgin birth and just how that affects the Christmas story. I think you've really accomplished that. I think maybe one of like my last questions. Um, when it comes to and maybe this is a big one, so I'm not sure if we should even go here, but whatever it is, what it is. Um, and if it's too much, just tell me. We'll cut it and then we'll do a we'll do a part three later on. I'm just wondering about like, okay, so you mentioned kind of how. Um, you know, the birth of Christ, the incarnation, like that's what the doctrine is, right? The, the God with us idea. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of wondering like if you can maybe expand on that a little bit more as kind of like how Jesus kind of grows up and like, you know, the miracles, you know, like like, like how do we see the hu- the humanness of Jesus through the incarnation also being God and how, how, how should that shape maybe our theological perspectives on life as we kind of move forward? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll answer what I think you were asking, and then you can decide. If Perfect. It makes sense. Um, I'll just cut it out the, if it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, the incarnation uh, is, uh, it's the affirmation that God was fully human and fully divine. Then, hmm. what's fascinating is that for the early church, the question wasn't, uh, "Is he still really human?" It was in what nature is Jesus divine? Because the full humanity of Jesus kept getting reaffirmed as heresies rose up and they tried to make Jesus not so human. Like, do we replace the human will and put it in a divine will or a human soul and put it in a divine soul or this kind of thing, right? Um, and there are some crazier heresies that where the, you have like a human Jesus and a divine Jesus floating over. And like there, there's all sorts of ways. Wow. And the church kept... It, throughout the Christological controversies kept just going like, no, fully human, fully divine. And then when you said how, they were like hypostatic union, which is <laughs> um, a weird philosophical answer. It just says two things are fully in the same place at the same time and they're non-competitive. Hmm. Um, hmm. But it's kind of a dodge. It just says, trust me, you know? <laughs> right, um, right, right. And so I, I say that because a lot of times today, when we have debates about the uh, humanity and divinity of Jesus, um, it's the humanity uh, that has so long been defended that now, um, you know, gets minimized. So like if Jesus is fully human, he popped Woody and probably had nocturnal emissions. You know, if Jesus was human, he took dumps. Uh, He, he grew up, he was an adolescent. Right. Um, it, right. Growing, maturing are all part of being human, right? Right, right. Um, he didn't come out knowing how to speak. Uh, he had to learn language and they had to mm. learn the stories of Israel. And eventually, uh, you know, maybe he learned to read Torah. Like, I mean, they're like to be fully human involves all that growth and change. Mm. And I think a lot of times people imagine 
Jesus being a human that has like a secret hard drive of perfection. In right. It. Yeah. And, that's right. and I just, I just want to say like, no, no, no. The church spent a lot of time going. That's absolutely not the case. Um, <laughs> Jesus was very fully human. And so to me, I think uh, it's, it's actually how he expresses his humanity in its fullness that you come to recognize the fullness of the divine dwelling in him. So now I, I've written a couple of books about this. So, but um, yes. my last one, divine self-investment, um, one of the images I use there is because uh, it, it, it's from an open relational perspective. If every moment uh, God lures the world, calls the world uh, to participate deeply in God, and obviously, depending on our whether or not we cooperate, uh, it it does or doesn't happen in some ways. Um, and you can see God struggling with the people of God uh, being unfaithful um, today in in Scripture. Well, uh, it, then it, you know if you if you take that image and every moment, then what would a moment be where someone is where the fully human and fully divine are being expressed? It's one where the human says yes to God completely in each moment, that through being fully faithful to the one Jesus called Abba, he materializes in his life, or you could say he's the image of the invisible God, or through his mm. full faithfulness, he makes present in his materiality mm. um, uh, the mind and mm. will, desire of God. Uh, that, it, the full faithfulness bit I find real helpful because a lot of us, and this is connected to one of the reasons people get hung up on virgin birth and then the virgin conception, right. is that we think in order for Jesus to be fully divine, he has to be uh, sinless. And so yes. then where does sin come from? The body. So we got to avoid a woman, uh, definitely, and maybe a woman that never even had a uh, had a period. Uh, right. You know, like you get to all this stuff. And I, I say, like, if you look at the New Testament, um, both in Jesus's own engagement with the one he calls Abba. It's mm. about his faithfulness. And then mm. if you look at the language of Paul, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ is to let that same mind be in you that was in Christ mm. Jesus, who didn't count equality with God. something It's you, you occupy that same space and are faithful. And so if instead of sinlessness, uh, which kind of makes Jesus not able to grow and learn, and it really separates him from us as human beings, right? Mm. So that's why everyone gets uncomfortable. If you're like, Jesus had a wet dream. Um, uh, it, it's because in your mind, he's not human. <laughs> like if you, but if you ever, if you're a youth minister and you right. have a 18 year old, you know, graduating high school <laughs> and, and they're like, right. what'd y'all learn in youth group? Like how, right. and he's like, I managed to get through youth group without ever ejaculating. Right. Like you're, you're like, you're lying. You're lying. Right. Like that's what you, and you know it. Why? Cause he's human. So uh, it, the sinlessness and the way he got hooked to bodies and fluids, I think right. made us think for to be fully divine, we needed a sinless Jesus. And so what do we have to do? Uh, we got a virgin. She stays a virgin. Um, and Augustine kind of sets this up in unique ways. Well, but what if hmm. what if the divinity hmm. isn't expressed wow. by the absence right. of sin that's connected to biology, but the fullness of his humanity and being faithful to the call right. of God? So the, then it's a stating it positively. So Jesus being fully faithful throughout his life, his own will freely mm. fuses with the divine will. 
such that he is the image of the invisible God, literally. He is God uh, with us in all those things. But it doesn't come by divine intervention, forcing it into Mary and forcing it in the world. It comes by divine emergence, by Jesus saying yes to God. So the, the, the prayer Mary says in, in response to the angel, right? Like, let it be unto thine will, right? You see that, that she comes to participate in God. And what does she become? The Theotokos, the mother of God. Mm. And then what does Jesus do throughout his life? He says yes uh, to God. And he even ends up growing, right? The encounter of the Syrophoenician woman um, expands his vision from just Jews to Gentiles. But you can see growth. But what is growth there? It's the model of mm. faithfulness. What is perfection? Saying yes to God, even if it demands growth and change. Um, but do, how does his story end? Not my will, but thine be done. The image of Jesus mm. in the garden, uh, the mm. image that we practice the Eucharist is one who became servant of all because he was servant of God. And it's his faithfulness that is being expressed. And it's that faithfulness, the giving of body and blood that we participate in and are given to yeah. nourish on. And anyway, so the, for me, the incarnation, if it's not, if, if we don't thinking sinlessness, we aren't thinking ways of carving up his humanity, then as a theologian, you know, you go, well, how do you imagine God relating the world? And there's right. lots of nerdy reasons for this, but if God loves and engages the world, but it's beneath God to coerce and force the world because God desires love and love doesn't come by force, mm. but through invitation and reciprocal relation, then how does that reciprocity of free love Get so intensified that it fuses. Well, it, if it's not exploitation, it's because Jesus is fully faithful and God continues to give God's self moment to moment. So if the divine giving is received fully uh, mm. by the son, then you get the fusion, right? Like of the wills, you get uh, the self-investment of God um, uh, is reciprocated in the self-giving of Christ. And so the... um. Yeah. I find it helpful because he, once the divinity of Jesus becomes something hmm. that's protected by making hmm. him no longer human uh, and knowing us completely and, uh, and then is accomplished by divine invasion, hmm. but not divine investment, then I like go, all of a sudden the picture of power and love here is not the one you see expressed in Jesus's life. But if it's expressed that Jesus is fully faithful to God and then gives us the gift of new life and we're called mm. to share in that mind, to participate in that body of faithfulness to God, then the church has an identity and a mission that's shaped uh, deeply by Christ and we participate in it. Uh, and you can see uh, I mean, you can see how things kind of play out from there, but… I was well, trying not to start a whole new episode, Tim. No, that's okay. You did a great job. I think you, I think you, you wet the beak just enough. So this was, that's really helpful. And again, you're right. I mean, I grew up thinking, even though they said he's fully human, I had a version of like robot human Jesus in my head. You know, like he just does things perfectly, never makes a mistake, no emotion. You know, never pooped in a diaper, like never happened. You know, um, and so having you kind of. Explain maybe a different perspective on that. Like, actually, you know, I don't think we're thinking about it maybe in the best terms. I think again, just helps people open up different doors of the of the 
Christian house, so to speak. So, Trip, on that note, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you making so much time. Why don't you go ahead and plug? I mean, you do a lot of stuff. I follow you on all your channels between Homebrew Christianity, Trip 4, this special thing, this six-week course on this. I mean, you do a lot of stuff, um, and I think you're a great resource for so many. So where can people find you? Where can they engage your content? Where can they find courses? All that good stuff. Okay, so the I mean, you can go to tripfuller.com with two Ps and find most things. Um, since this is, you know, uh, in the Christmas season, I'll tell you that just in the new year, uh, in the middle of January, my next class is, um, it is six weeks. I'm doing it with Adam Clark, who is, uh, I think one of the most awesome black theologians in America, like studied with James Cone, black theologian was uh, president of the black theology group. Uh, and we're doing six weeks on, uh, Black theology in America, reading different uh, black theologians. What can we learn as a oh. church in America? Um, and and what does it mean to take seriously uh, the voices of the most faithful part of the American church? Uh, mm. And and I'm super excited about it. Adam's amazing. We're get, we're we're getting visits from a whole host of different uh, uh, other theologians in the group. So uh, you can, it's called upsetting the powers. Is the name of the Ooh, class. I love it. Um, but if you go to jamesconewasright.com, um, yeah, I, I, I was very amused with that URL. Being yeah, that's available. a good one. Uh, jamesconewasright.com, you'll be able to uh, join the class. Um, it is like donate whatever you want. So it could be zero um, as long as you're not doing it just to say mean things in the class at people. But uh, and then if you're a minister with continuing education budget and you're already supporting the new evangelicals, then you can uh, you, you can donate uh, that. And if you, you know, if you whatever you do for reading, like it's it, the money's not the thing. We want as many yes. people to read it, um, uh, read along with us and learn uh, It's six weeks. Uh, I think that'd be the best place. Um since that's the next class it's video and audio. Awesome. Um, you can use it for a group. If you have some friends and want to like watch them, uh, you don't have to join live, you know, it's, it happens live and then you can have access to it. So, you know, whatever works. Awesome. Well, Trip, I'm seriously always a pleasure. Always great having you on. Thanks for spending time, um, with us and I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs>